Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 157, and we are continuing through part three of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Last week, we tore apart Yumi's world. This week, we get to tear apart Painter's world. So, Paul, how are you? I'm really excited. I've been... Ever since I read these chapters, I was really excited to come talk with you guys about it. Me too. So I, I'm really eager to, to get into this one. Elliot? I am not okay. <laughs> not in the slightest. Because of where you decided to end the chapters for this episode. The chapter, chapter recovering are 25 through 28. If you've read recently, you'll know chapter 25 ends by far the biggest cliffhanger we've had in this book so far at a chapter end. Pretty comparable to cliffhangers in other stories as well. And yeah, let's just say I was reading ahead for this. So I have not read in like a week and a half. I've been sitting for a week and a half. Chapter 28, me too. Chapter 28, which ends with a stable nightmare bearing down on our poor two innocent characters about to slaughter them in its dangerous form. Yes. Yes, indeed. Not okay. See, that's tough. I finished this, I think, um, like a day or two ago. Oh, so I envy you. It worked great for me. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I have such a cool <laughs> point to talk on with, with y'all. Like, day after tomorrow and then and then and then see exactly what happens so i have a lot of sympathy for you if you finished this this the reading for this week early um this week i did not so let me let me find the live reaction channel in our i uh um i finished this 14 days ago so i've been sitting on chapter 28 for 14 days okay so this Man, this episode has emotion, it has a love story, it has suspense, it has reveals. This episode, I mean, our, our viewers will know how long it is, but I have no idea how long we will be talking this evening. Gentlemen, let's roll intro and talk chapters 25 through 28 of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Okay, one of the reasons why I'm excited for this episode is I have two really big theories that I get to throw at you guys. One I'm going to start with, because it's at the beginning of chapter 25, and one I'm going to end with, which is at the end of 28. Okay, so we, end, we open chapter 25 with Yumi and Painter watching the Heon viewer. They're watching TV, and they've been... You meet that they've been 27 days, I think is what it's told was later in this episode um, is how long they've been swapping for. And a, a week is 11 days. So a little bit over two weeks is how long they've been going back and forth. So this is long enough 
for um you me to start watching some TV shows on at, for the first time on on some uh nightly or every other night or however often they're viewed. And so she's emotionally drawn into this TV show and it ends and she gets this cliffhanger of a TV show and she's all distraught. I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, but she has an offhand comment. We get this chapter 25 from Yumi's perspective. And she, in her internal dialogue, she tells herself 10 hours on each planet made for an awkward schedule. Did that strike you guys? No. What are the first couple numbers of the Fibonacci sequence? Ouch. Zero, one, one, two, two, three, three, five, three five, five, eight, eight, 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah. Where's 10? Between eight and 13. Okay. I mean, it's not on it's, the sequence. It's not but... there. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. We had a very yeah. deliberate Fibonacci sequence in the back in part one of our, our art in nature and stuff like that. This is not a local number. 10 hours. Where's 10 from? What, what system has significance of 10? Roshar. Roshar. Roshar, yeah. Brandon Sanderson could have picked any number of hours to swap. Why 10? Here comes my theory. Ready? I think that the powers that are connecting Yumi and Painter are Roshar-based. I think that... Let me pull up my notes for this. So, so, So sometimes when I'm writing notes for episodes for our listeners, I keep specific notes away from Paul and Elliot for dramatic effect and reveal this is one of them the spirits that say free us or free me or whatever they say in the end of part one are connect presumably the same thing that's connecting yumi and nakaro 10 hours on each planet that that to me sounds like roshar based investiture connection who on Roshar is Cosmere aware at the time of Stormlight that we know. Um, I'm I'm talking like a number of people. Uh, okay, uh, not not a specific person, like a a group of people. People is a loose term. Ghost Bloods. Okay, good. Ghost Bloods. Who else? The the, the creepy crawly people. The sleepless. Um, yeah, they're a little. Are aware. they are they really Cosmere aware? Or are they just. They are. Roshar aware. Okay. They Cosmere aware. They're not from Roshar and they say so. Okay. Yasna is getting to be fairly Cosmere aware. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it almost all of our like else caller type characters, right? I mean, we don't really have any other characters specifically, but those who are familiar with Shadesmar, shouldn't they be pretty familiar? Yes, if you spend enough time in Shadesmar, you'll figure out pretty quick that there's other planets. Or, right? like, generally invested characters, right? Like, we see Basher. Yep. Right. We've got Azure and Zyle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or Cosmere. But I think. As far if... as another group, 
I think if they were involved, they wouldn't be Roshar-based. They would be Nalthus-based. So based That's on what fair. we just talked about, who on Roshar, that is Cosmereware, has a vested interest in Cosmere safety? Cosmere safety. Who has explicitly said we're here to protect things? The Sleepless? Sleepless. I think that the spirit, quote-unquote, that Yumi talks to is not actually a spirit or a spren. I think that Yumi and Nikaro have been connected by Sleepless who are visiting the system and have been trapped on the system somehow. There's my theory. And, and all of this based on the fact that they spend 10 hours on each planet. Yes. Specifically 10 hours. Because that's... Because that doesn't like fit within their schedules. It seems like it's something that's imposed on them right. by like an assumption made from someone who's not familiar with their life rhythm. Yep. Okay. See, I thought okay. I thought you would have some form of more connection maybe to Hoyt in this. <laughs> so bringing up the Hoyt note. We know what we know about him is that whenever he ends up on these other planets, it's he is there for a specific reason and he's supposed to be there, but he doesn't necessarily know why. Fortune, right? yep. Yes. Um, and what we mostly know about Hoyt, I could be wrong on this, I don't have the full Cosmere knowledge, but my general understanding is that Hoyt's ultimate storyline, right as far as we know, is based around Roshar still. We're based around Roshar and um, Odium, let's say. Y yeah, um, I would clarify that and say it's based around Adonalsium. And that's, yeah, that's Odium right. is messing with stuff. So by proxy, yes, Odium is a big part of what Hoyt is doing just because he's messing with other shards. And that's not okay. Okay, that that makes sense. That's a good clarification. Um, but in my head, I, I feel like you could... I don't know what kind of connection you could really draw with Hoyt. He's obviously narrating and telling this story. But, like, I don't know. I'm surprised you're getting to where you're getting without him being involved at all, is what I'm... I, I guess I'm thinking. I don't know. I... I think if he Why was in... is Hoyt here? Sure. And I've, I've yeah. got no idea. But who on Roshar can communicate long distances and connect entity to entity and communicate without actually being physically present? Sleepless. Right? There's a scene in Dawn Chart where all the sleepless are having a, a talk and they're not even in the same room with each other. They are. I don't know if I'm quite on the same train. We're, we're inverse of last episode. You, I'm not convinced. You, you've got uh, you've got some evidence. You, you paint a picture. I I follow the logic. Not sure if I buy it just yet. I'm gonna need some more convincing. Fair. Yeah, I would I would definitely believe that this is simply just the work of some shard, and that would explain why Hoyt is here. Or some reaction due to a shard before I would 
throw Sleepless in the mix. If there was another bit of information, maybe, that, that points to Sleepless, I could look at that, but I don't know. I feel like, I in my head, I feel like uh, Brendan Sanderson has almost reserved Sleepless for his novellas. <laughs> that seems to be when they always have their, their moments. Uh, which is not necessarily true, but, you know, I, I don't think this is where we're seeing Sleepless. I I almost think I'm against your theory just on principle because it would be, it, it sounds to me like it would be such an anticlimax. If we go through this whole story and the final is like, they finally solve it and they realize that, oh yeah, it's just one guy who's, you know, one sleepless who's stuck as a statue just like Hoyd, and he's like, oh, yeah, thanks for freeing me. See you <laughs> later. And end of the story. It would be like, what? Well, I I would argue that the sleepless are here for more for a more profound reason. They're either trying to investigate virtuosity or okay. help virtuosity or something like that, and then they got tied so up by something. So maybe that's like the that's the false summit is okay. You freed the sleepless, and here's the big reason why Hoyd and the sleepless are all here right. and save the Cosmere and yay happily ever after. Right. And got it. Okay. That being said, I'm not sure if we will get an answer to this in this book. I think this might be like Arcanum Unbounded two that we find out why Hoyd is here. I I don't know if he would throw that much into Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Because like you said, like we were talking about earlier, Elliot, he might be writing new entries into the Cosmere. And if that yeah. were the case, putting Sleepless in here to investigate virtuosity is really going to throw a new reader. Like, you, potentially, yeah. you get to the end and you're like, I don't understand what the big reveal was. That didn't really land for me. So... We yeah. we may not in this book we may not know, um, uh, why Hoyt is here. Yeah, yeah, I'm following you. I don't know if I I don't know if I'm on on your train yet, but I see where your train is going. All right, that was kind of disconnected from the rest of the episode. I just saw ten hours and had to uh, go on a go on a char rant. What did you guys get out of uh? chapter 25 this one th this is the chapter where yumi and painter are or yumi finally convinces nakaro that i'm gonna go paint i'm gonna go on your your rotation to see how bad the uh, to, to find the stable nightmare or find other nightmares just to see how the what are the state of things what did you guys think of this this felt kind of like the well, let's just go do something we're not supposed to do moment for Pater's planet, planet a little bit. Like we just saw on Yumi's planet where they decide to go break the rules and end up uncovering this whole secret that's been hidden from Yumi. On Pater's planet, it seems just more of like, ah, let's be slightly reckless and go chase down a nightmare. I'm, I'm ready. I've got my, got my bamboo down. I'm ready to go. So they, they venture out into the city so Yumi can go be a nightmare painter. The the interesting nuance to this is painter realizes kind of as they're going out and walking around that this is like his his beat, his zone that he's responsible for. 
he had a realization as they're walking around that the foreman may not have sent someone to replace him, that he's on leave. So the foreman knows that he's not out there doing his job. But if the foreman has fully bought into the assumption that Painter isn't doing his job, then Painter realizes, oh, wait, the foreman may think there's no nightmares in right. this zone, that I've been able to get away with not doing anything all this time because there are none here when we know full well that he has been capturing nightmares. And so there's kind of this scary moment that's like, well, wait a second, has nobody been watching this zone for the last 27 days? Has the, Have the nightmares been just running amok in this whole zone for 27 days? That's a scary thought. Yeah. He he sees an obvious, like, I'll call it like an ink stain on the sidewalk or whatever. And that's when Nakara has the thought of, this is a really obvious one. Why is the the painter on patrol here not seeing this? What if there is no painter on patrol here? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what did you guys think of the description of the unstable nightmare that we get in 26? 25? 25. Like the the spider? It's like a spider. Yes, the, the spider nightmare. nightmare. The arachnoid yeah. is what they describe it as. It was astoundingly creepy. Yes. It, it it felt almost out of place for what we've been covering in this story. Like we knew the nightmares were creepy. But this felt this this felt different. Like this this felt like uh, I mean my understanding is that it it kind of is like tailoring to someone's nightmare. Right? Is that kind okay. of how these okay. nightmares yeah. work? That's how I've kind of interpreted it interpreted it. Am I saying that right? Interpreted it in <laughs> separate in two words. Head. Interpreted That's how I have it. it in my head. Yes, exactly. That's how I've interpreted it in my head. And so <laughs> um of it's almost like a, uh, I don't know. I I know how that, you're gonna laugh even more at this. I'm thinking of Monsters Incorporated, the wonderful film. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Where where they kind of have almost a little research sheet on each child, and what monster is scary gonna be most effective. Yeah. To 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 farm screams from uh, against those kids, and this child was very afraid of spiders, so naturally they send the spider-like monster in, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's exactly what's happening here, right? You know, I don't... Um, but but that that kind of sentiment, right, that each nightmare is probably different, and it's probably tailored for s- someone, or, you know, it's just a general scary thing, I guess. Who knows? But, all that being said... This particular depiction of the spider was pretty horrifying. I will say, like it was pretty, it was pretty scary. Dragging itself across the floor with its legs towards, and then they they don't realize until it, kind of it's too late how much danger Nicaro is actually in. Because so we were we were correct in uh, I think I made a prediction that Nicaro, if when if and when they find a a nightmare will have a very real danger to himself, even versus unstable nightmares because he's on the cognitive realm with them. So the, the nightmare turns to Nicaro and immediately, immediately starts, uh, 
Death Eater sucking his face off, um, yeah, Harry Potter style. So, and uh, blue and pink lines coming from his face. So, I, I, I told you. No, we're not quite to that 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 stage yet. But I spun my theory, my conspiracy theory last last episode about how Keon is the extracted souls of imprisoned humans or spirits. <laughs> and I I don't know guys, I feel like this scene is is feeding my fears here in this scene where the nightmare starts to like consume Nicaro. Yeah. He like is fearing for his life like he's about to get eaten by this nightmare. Yikes. And the Heon lines, it, it's like the Heon lines extracting out of him into the the nightmare. It's, I guess, maybe, maybe I wonder if the difference is going to end up being, and, and this is where you were trying to talk me off the ledge last episode, Trevor, is, is it simply the transference of investiture from one body to the other, or is it literally the consumption of a soul or a being or is that the same thing i don't know but it, it seems to be leaning towards the i'm losing a part of myself as it gets consumed into this other being which is why i'm so concerned so i would i would make the argument of the, the nightmares are creeping into the city and absorbing investiture from people via feeding yes. off their nightmares Somehow, yes. Problem when you're completely made of investiture, as Nicaro is in this scene, you're just going to start consuming all of Nicaro. Right. So, unstable nightmares aren't consuming someone's soul or something like that um, when they're mm -hmm. in the physical realm, when they're a normal person. They are extracting investiture from them. Um, yeah. But that would just be like, you know, sucking someone's stormlight out with a anti right. anti stormlight dagger on Roshar. Like, like we've seen that type of yeah. mechanic happen before. Um and it's not necessarily damaging their physical body um until they get stable in the physical realm and then absolutely at the end of right. this episode they are it's one hundred percent in the physical realm. It's about to do damage to you. Um but when you're a spren or when you're a spirit, then you're on the same level. They're going to start draining your life. Okay. Yep. I, I do follow that. I do follow that. Okay. What my, okay. With the context of the end of the episode in mind, I had the thought, what if this nightmare in 25 is disguising itself as unstable. What if this nightmare is way more stable than it lets on, and that's the reason why it uh, is not immediately scared off? Because at the beginning of the book, where we seem to it seemed to imply that unstable nightmares are more of an inconvenience than anything. Um, you just paint bamboo they change to bamboo and you're done. But this one seems to be more present than that. It turns on Nicaro 
it doesn't it doesn't get scared away until Yumi screams at it or screams in general. Um I think that there are I think that there are going to be multiple nightmares um in Nakaro's sector that are close to stable at this point. We've he's been absent for 27 days, nearly a month on on, on earth terms. I think there are going to be a handful of nightmares who are hiding in the sector um because Nakaro's not there. And the the obvious question that begs is the whole why are they not wrecking the city yet? Mm. Why why have we not seen deaths yes. yet? So and I, that's my second big theory, which we'll get to in a little go bit. For it. Okay. Well I'll get okay. I'll get to it when we when we're finished talking about twenty eight. I'll I'll save my thoughts for then too. Real real quick, should I go back to twenty five real quick? I had one more thought there. Yeah. There's get, get, getting away from all the nightmares and, and crazy theories. There was a there was a discussion between Painter and Yumi in chapter twenty five that I wanted to mention real briefly, just because it was such a relatable moment. The these chapters twenty five through twenty eight are Trevor. I know you're going to talk about this more, so I, I won't get too deep into it. But really engaging writing. Yes, I I, I really felt for our characters in these chapters for much bigger reasons that we're going to go into in a second, but it starts in 25 and in 25 painter and Yumi have a conversation about kind of it's painter specifically talking about how when he was in school to be a painter, he had that, that spark, that creative spark. He, he had a passion for his work. He could, he could see himself being on the dream watch and achieving great things and, doing what he loves to do and making a difference in the world. And then even events we're about to dissect in a moment aside, when he gets into the workplace, it's a bit of a shock for him to realize that you, you don't need to be passionate in every moment. You don't really get necessarily all the time that moment where you're like, yes, this is why I, I love doing this job. There's a lot of monotony with it. There's a lot of, you know, good enough is good enough. You can still collect your paycheck when you do, you know, just enough as opposed to going above and beyond and doing the best that you can. And there's kind of this, what I might call like the the slump of occupation that cuts in. And, and I, I reference it because I've, I've felt this myself. I, I, I work in aerospace engineering. I, I literally get to build things that go to space. It's, it, it doesn't get much cooler than that, in my opinion. And, and yet, there are still days at my job that feel like a grind simply because it's my job. Like it's that, it's the whole thing of, they, they say like, don't make your hobbies your job because then you'll ruin them for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's, it almost felt like that's what Painter and Yumi were kind of talking about was this whole, you kind of have this grand picture in your mind of what you're going to do with your life. And then you get to the professional world and you're like, well, this is it. Like, even if it's that passionate thing that you're about, there's going to be days where you're like, man, I love this. This is me. And then there's other days where you're like, yeah, but I could just do the bare minimum and then collect my paycheck and go home. Like, that's that's a very real part of life that Painter has experienced, and he's trying to explain it to Yumi. It was, it was just a relatable moment for me. Elliot, you recognized this way earlier in the book than I did. And that surprised me because I have personal experience with 
such a such a topic, but I think this was episode one that you talked about how jaded Nicaro was and how existential yeah. Nicaro was with his job. And yeah. I I un, I I saw the same things, but you you were very quick to recognize it and call it out as deliberate foreshadowing, which is is pushed into this episode that we're going to talk about here. Um, and I, yeah, I was really impressed uh, reading these chapters that that's where the story was going when you were, you saw that as it was in episode one. Yeah, it's a, Painter, Painter is a fascinating character. Yeah. There's, he, he's so not complex on the surface. And then when you get into it, there's so much more. Yeah. And there's so much like relatable more, not even in the big moment that we're going to talk about, but even in the small things where you're like, man, even the simple jaded doesn't really have friends. He's kind of a loner, just kind of go, you know, scrape along with the bear, bare minimum lives in his own messy apartment. Like it, in some ways it's almost like, ah, you can't get more boring than that. But he's so not. There's so many like fascinating little elements of him. It's yeah. I'll I'll stop talking because we're gonna get into it here in a second. Paul, do you have anything about the unstable nightmare before we talk about twenty six or twenty seven? Not anything else to add there. No. I will have more thoughts about our future um dilemmas at hand. Sounds good. So twenty six. Akane and Tojin find Yumi. And they're very accusatory, as they should be, immediately. They are telling Yumi, why are you out here? You're not... It's not safe for you to be out here. You're not certified to be out here on Nakaro's patrol. And Yumi immediately goes on the defensive for Nakaro and says, well, he he didn't... He, he, he gave me some pointers. He trained me for this. And then Nakaro in the corner is like, oh, okay, that's going to make it worse. Because now it looks like that he's deliberately sending her on his shift and he's goofing off somewhere. Because he's got the context that we're about to receive in the next chapter and Yumi does not. So Yumi is trying to be helpful and say, well, he he prepared me. He trained me for this. I'm okay. And Nakara's like, that's not helpful. <laughs> that's worse. So, Akane and Tojin trade shifts to go back to the noodle pupil and sit Yumi down for chapter 27. I think this might be the best background character reveal that Brandon Sanderson has written. And I think that Brandon Sanderson is really famous for that uh, in in Stormlight, in Mistborn, as we'll uh, as we'll find uh, as we keep reading Mistborn. Brandon Sanderson loves when a character knows something about themselves that the reader does not, and he reveals that later. He loves doing that. I think this is the best one he's written, simply because of how accurate and how real and relatable, at least for me, um, 
Nicaro is as a person. And the just the down to the details that Nicaro describes to Yumi are so incredibly pinpoint accurate in my experience to what I experienced. I was so like I I did several double takes that this book was not written about me because of how accurate it was and how and the feelings that Nicaro feels in this chapter, how he felt in the past, how his friends feel about him now. Like there are so many things that wh whoever was the primary source for Brandon Sanderson, because I don't believe Brandon, the, I don't believe Brandon is his own primary source for this based on what I know of, of Brandon Sanderson, but whoever he talked to about this type of like losing or apathy is, um, a good mm -hmm. a good word or losing your losing your dream and s settling for another job or whatever you want to want to however you want to summarize that whoever he talked to about this was very very good at describing their own feelings and describing their own emotions and Brandon Sanderson did a great job of putting down very relatable real emotions and tangible actions from Nicaro, from people around Nicaro who care about him, like so, so. Something that I want to talk about in chapter twenty-seven, when Nicaro's old friends are talking to Yumi, each of each of the friends are at a different point of grieving and anger with what Nicaro did, and it's visible that uh, um, Izzy is still like visibly frustrated and wants and is is angry and does not want anything to do with Nicaro, whereas Akane is past that, is is beyond that part of grieving and wants to care for not only and wants to look out for Yumi and is there to warn Yumi about the dangers of Nicaro and is even there for Nicaro, wants to look after him and make sure he doesn't get into anything further um, or get himself into any more trouble. But each of them are at a different state of emotional dissonance with Nicaro. Some of them have are beginning to forgive him for what he did. Some of them are absolutely not. Um, I just thought that was really cool that each of the four characters were at a different state as opposed to all four of them being in the same same position. That's interesting that you point that out. I had not thought about that. I didn't think about how each of the different characters were responding as being kind of a different point of like reaction or grief or whatever you would like to call that I mean I I was in my head summing that up to just be like their personalities and mm -hmm. how they like would react but you're right but that's that's sometime in the past now like like Nakaro's so also just to be clear and to just kind of say that we're talking about how Nakaro like applied for the dream watch right that's that's what it was, and that's revealed in chapter twenty six. Yeah. Um. 20, and then twenty seven. Yeah. Yes, and then he was lying to his his friends about actually being, actually being trained for that. He actually didn't um. Make it or get accepted, or we don't fully know what happened. We just know he said he was going to be in the dream watch and was not actually, and kind of kept it up for a long time. Um. Deceiving his friends. I didn't actually think about that as how they're all kind of in different stages of 
of yeah grief upset upsetness yeah coping coping um with that or what in my head this is like old news do we have a time frame of reference of like how far in the past that is yes so um right now a year ago is when they all graduated and a year previous to that was the um night watch so he goes so there's a two-year school halfway through the two-year school is when you can apply to be part of the the night watch um he goes to that night watch fails and then for that next year that second year of school is when he's lying to them and saying he got in so right at graduation is when they find out that they're all going to be normal painters as opposed to night watch crew. And so they've been normal painters for a year now. Okay. In my head, it's a little, I thought, I guess I thought it was a little more further removed from that. I thought it was like, they've been out, they've been doing their thing for like four, four, maybe five years. But that makes more sense to their emotions in my head of of it's more recent than that. If it helps, they're all 19, even Yumi. All of them are 19, so they're one year removed from school, quote-unquote, for our reference. I think it's even, I want to say it's Tojin, is even in like still the, the disbelief stage yeah. of it, too. Like you said, you've got anger, you've got the move past it, now I just want to protect others. Tojin is even in like the, like, it's been a year and I still can't believe it is like one of the lines that he, that he says. So from a personal standpoint, when I dropped out of college, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell my family. And it was almost a year before anyone found out. And I would do exactly what Nicaro does. I would go to campus and I would sit in the library, wasting time. I, w I wouldn't use my time well, like they say in this chapter, that I, it was so scarring for, to, to cope with the fact that you've lost this dream that you, you can't even use your time well. You're, you're just so numb, is what Nicaro says. Um, and and I've never related to anything more in, in, in a writing, or at least in a fantasy writing, that I, I did not expect to open a fantasy book and see myself from years ago on this page. Like, it, it, was, it was such a weird feeling reading, or I guess listening to this, this chapter. I had to rewind when his friends told Yumi all he did was go and sit in the library. And I, I had a shock moment. I was like, what on earth? That is exactly what I did. And when my friends found out, when my friends found out, they were equally frustrated with me, even though mine didn't like directly affect them. Their jobs weren't pinned on my college attendance, but they were still frustrated that I had been lying to them for over a year, almost a year. And they were they were just so confused that they asked me the same questions that Nicaro asked him. Like in the, in the previous episode, 
in the previous episode, in, um, we had a chapter where Nakaro ex- describes himself to Yumi as behind a window, watching everybody else go through life. And he is not allowed to participate. He watches everybody else go past. And I have never... I had like a, a an emotional Facebook post years ago at, where I described the same exact thing of where I, I would watch other people experience this thing that I was not allowed to participate in. And it, it just that there's so many specific details that he gets that Sanderson gets so spot on for me specifically that whoever he talked to about this type of thing had almost my exact same life experience and described it very well. I, it is crazy. It was, it was emotional for me listening and reading to your reactions to this because I, oh, I, hold on for anyone who doesn't know i put like a an essay in the discord for anyone who reads when i when i saw this episode or when i saw this chapter i i sat for an hour writing out like this huge thing so that's what elliot you're referring to yeah yeah getting to getting to read your very emotional you know reaction to to this based on your your past it brought me back to to that as well and the just you know, sorrow and, you know, I don't know quite the right word for it, but just sadness that I felt for you in yeah. that moment, you know, when, when it, re- when it dawned on me the day that I realized what you had just been through and being able to, you know, apply some of those thoughts and experiences that you and I went through to this character that we're reading about. I, I don't think I had quite the the powerful experience that you did, of course, because you you lived through it even more than I did. But even just getting to experience that around this this story was, yeah, different experience than, than I've had before reading a book. Also, yeah, I I I mean, Trevor and I have been able to be friends for the past years, several years now, and uh, reading this, I. I I honestly like remembered whenever I found out which me and Trevor you know at the time especially that that was a part of your life more so like we were nude we were not as like close of friends right right so it was very much like a thing that I know that's really like painful and difficult and everything at the time and so like reading this it it really like was a smack to the face of like like you you're right like it was kind of surreal like i'm not you and so it's very different for you right but like i knew that was part of your perspective and and something that was like you know a a part of your life you know and so like seeing that i i I also saw that it was so oddly specific yeah you know it, it almost felt kind of fake like like you mentioned like it feels like he was writing it about you yeah like literally about you like there's <laughs> i always make fun of people for this when they read stories and like something tragic happens to the main character and they're like omg same you know right. <laughs> and it's like sometimes it's relatable sometimes it's really not relatable and this is just like really really spot on in that in that example um which which it definitely means a lot knowing someone who 
has wrestled with that scenario, you know, who who's been through something like that. So yeah. I I can't really provide the best insight like into that, but I'm really glad that we've been such good friends that that I can can to see that, you know. Yeah. I my immediate takeaway from this chapter and I I wrote about this in my my immediate reaction in our Discord was regardless of what you think about Yumi and Painter you you have an art, a heart of pure ice if you don't feel something when you read these chapters this is what Trevor you've been talking about the impressive detail and applicability of these chapters i i think about just the impressive emotional writing here yeah of i am just I'm just feeling the emotions for both Yumi and Painter in these chapters. I am like, you know, getting choked up and feeling some of the frustration of the of the other characters and just, you know, the, the sadness for the pain that they are are going through. I'll even really like these two characters. I'm I'm realizing, you know, we're over halfway through this book and I'm trying to ask myself like, you know, who do I like better, Yumi or Painter? It's like, yeah, they're 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 both pretty frustrating to be honest. But <laughs> In, in this chapter, true. it's like, oh, man, I just, oh, my heart breaks. My heart breaks for these characters. What what impressive writing in that kind of emotional, make-you-feel-something kind of way. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I said this in my post-reactions to The Lost Metal for our patrons. Uh, which I assume neither one of you read. Um, Brandon Sanderson is somehow getting better at writing characters as he goes. And I that is crazy to think of where he starts in Mistborn Galantris, but Mistborn is the main one of, wow, these characters are really cool. They, they have got some very tangible issues that I can relate to. Um, while they're spinning through the air fighting other Mistborn. Like, that she has, Vin has abandonment um, trauma in her past, and they're, that's a very relatable thing for a lot of people. And to start from there and then progress to this, of this is still a, a fantasy book, but to have such tangible struggles um in your book is such a strength such a strength of brandon sanderson it it's almost bordering on like showing off in this book like it's <laughs> so off. it's it's so out there it's so just like you think you're picking up a teen romance novel yeah and all of a sudden it's like wham all the emotional feels and and in a perfectly fitting within this type of story he's telling way. It's almost like you just got to stop and be like, oh, I don't know. It's it's like more than I can take. It's like he's he's just showing off now at this point, what he can do with a character. Yeah. One of the best romantic lines I've read in a Sanderson book, actually maybe the best, is at the end of 27, when Yumi, after, after the big re reveals, 
she opens his portfolio, sees that he is indeed a masterful artist. He just no longer has the spark to create. She accepts that and says, let's go out. Let's go and be ourselves and be together um, right now. I don't want to go paint. I don't want to stack rocks. I want to be with you. And Nicaro says, well, I guess there's a carnival we could go to. And Yumi says, great, let's go. And then Nicaro says, you don't even know what a carnival is. And then the best romance line I think I've read in a Samson book, Yumi says, it doesn't matter. If you will be there, I don't care. And I I love that line from a like a romance a teen romance perspective. Like I, <laughs> I I'm I'm not a big romance reader, but that one got to me. I was like, that's really cool. Like that he that she just wants to spend time with him. Trevor, I agree. I enjoyed that. I yeah. enjoyed that, and I never enjoy any form of romance or sappy romance in a book. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I think that's really uh, wait, wait, this also goes to what you're saying about Brandon Sanderson doing such a good job of writing characters and trying to capture real and relatable emotions on a page. Like that's 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 a very tangible way that that people feel that I've felt, right? Like I don't really care if you're there right. kind of thing. You know, I've been married for about three months now. <laughs> um, and and that is how, I mean, a lot of times that's how I feel. It's like, I don't care that much what we do. I just kind of want to be there with my wife, you know, right. or do whatever with my wife, you know. Um, and I, I think that's a really, like, tangible way. And, and it's really sweet and, like, sincere. And it doesn't feel like over the top or mushier you know right and i don't even know if i don't think yumi was trying to be romantic she was just being mm -hmm. genuinely saying i just want to be with you and yeah i don't it's think so it's until, wholesome yeah i don't think it's till next chapter that yumi really admits to herself that she has romantic feelings for nakaro it's simply She's just so a, wholesome it's it's wholesome and it's such a refreshingly I don't read I'm a future ever. I don't read a lot of romance, so I, I can't maybe compare it to others so much. But it's such a nice relationship-driven way to grow this into a romance. It hasn't been, like you just said, Paul, it hasn't been over gushy or like big romantic gestures with flowers and kissing and saving the day. It's more of this subtle, I'm here for you, and this building a, a friendship before a romantic relationship yeah. and a connection at, you know, this emotional level where Yumi is going to walk with him through this incredibly painful moment where he's just had all his darkest secrets laid bare. And Yumi says, I I'm with you. I'm with you. Like that is, that's a, a that's a more powerful kind of romance than dozens of roses will ever be. Yeah. Completely agree. Curious to get our wives' reaction to that line 
because we're, we're talking about <laughs> I'm trying to... from the, th- yeah. the three of us. I'm curious to see what our wives would say about that line. Unironically, my my wife is not not Cosmere current, but she's read a decent bit of Sanderson at mm-hmm. this point. And as soon as I finished this chapter, I was like, oh, yeah, you know that book I've been reading? Yeah, you mean the Nightmare Painter? Yeah, I I think you'd really like it. Like yeah. that was the one that I knew I, she would like. I said the same thing um, to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my wife has not read any Cosmere yet, none at all. She she probably will at some point. But I've been telling her, and, and I'm waiting to see what happens in the rest of in the rest of this book before I make a full decision. But I think I'm going to push hard to have her read this book first. Yeah. That this is going to be because it will be right up her alley. It will. I am curious to hear how it goes because my wife's uh, primary question has been, okay, but is there a happy ending? And uh, I'm like, yes. it definitely seems like it's headed that way. Like it didn't start under the pretense that I was like, oh, this is going to be a romance novel. I probably could have inferred, right? We have a guy and a girl that are stuck together throughout the story. But I was thinking with my, you know, very intelligent and not ignorant male brain and was like, yeah, no, we're just going to learn some cool Cosmere stuff and we're going to see some nightmares, you know? And I wasn't expecting a love story, which it seems it's going in that direction. And since I wasn't expecting that, I feel like it wouldn't hint at that and then end in an unhappy way. At least I hope not. There's a... That would ends with a human factory like Elliot was predicting. Human he on factory line. <laughs> Murder machine. I hope not. The, and then they the lose matrix. each other to it. That would be tough. The okay. There's very meta commentary on this exact topic in this episode. At the beginning of chapter 25, Yumi and Painter are watching the viewer, and at the end of the episode, for no reason, the dude, the guy, and the girl separate and leave forever. And he's like, "I must, I must leave. leave you. Good goodbye." And and then Yumi goes on this whole tangent of, well, if they're going to make something, why would they make something sad? Just make it happy, and so that everybody lives happily ever after. And as I was listening to this for the fir- my first listen through, I was like, okay, Brandon, you know exactly what you're doing here with these two characters. I I could totally imagine like Brandon and his wife having this conversation of. If you're gonna make a story, just make it make all the stories a happy ending. Like, why would you make something sad? Um, because it's it's well documented that Emily is always his first reader. He always like on his first script gives it gives it to Emily and she reads it. Um, and so I I can just imagine that he writes some sad ending and then she just comes back. Why would you do this? Right, just. Just write it happy, and that's fine. So I am really curious to see if this story ends happy or or sad. So it'll be interesting. Don't we know that this was her favorite secret project? Yes. Out of the four, this one was her favorite, followed by Tress, and then um, the wizard one, and then the fourth one. That gives me a lot of hope that we'll have a very happy ending. Hopefully. There is one other element in chapter 27 before we move on to 28 that it kind of fits in the whole plot development, where is this going theme. And that is 
as part of all this reveal, we also get, in addition to the whole painter was living alive for a year, we get the reveal that painter was a brilliant artist. Yeah. That he was a genius. And I think this was kind of hinted at before. Paul, I think you predicted this actually. A couple of episodes ago, you called this because the we, we, we learned that there was a portfolio in the bottom of his of his trunk in his apartment. And he's like, oh, you you can't touch that. No matter what happens, you can't touch that. And Paul, I think you were spot on. You, you were quick to the draw to say, oh, it's full of brilliant artwork. That's exactly what it was full of. And Yumi runs back to the apartment and opens it up. There, there's actually some artwork of this on the book. I don't know if Trevor, you can, uh, yep, I can pull show. it up for us. But the, uh, it, it, this, uh, it shows Yumi on the floor of Painter's apartment with kind of this gorgeous artwork, you know, spilled out in, in front of her and just kind of that, that reveal of, sure enough, Painter really does have that skill. He really does have that genius level creative spark. And, and Painter, Painter talks about it in this this chapter. They have a discussion, and I think I think we find out what that missing spark is. We've been theorizing on this for a little while. Like, what is what is he missing? And I think he tells us it. He says that he used to create for his friends. He didn't create for himself. He didn't do all that to be a great painter. He didn't even really do all that to be on the dream watch. He did it for that moment where he got to show his friends and experience the joy and wonder that they felt when they saw the artwork. And that's, that's what he's missing in his life because of that period of, you know, where he didn't live up to his dreams. He lost all his friends. He doesn't live near his family. He has nobody. He has no one to create for. Yeah enter cute girl from another planet who needs saving yeah and romance starting to blossom very easily see this headed towards is yumi the new person in his life that he could create for could that be the reignition of his of his spark we're we're not that close to the end of this book what if that spark comes back and then they get separated again. Yeah. Does that spark stay there? Or good question. Does it does it leave with Yumi? I don't know. We've got we've got 140 pages left. 140. That a lot can happen in there. And going back to Brandon Sanderson comparing other writings. At the end of 28, that's some Sander Lanch level stuff that just happened right at the last two paragraphs of chapter 28. Um, we still got plenty of book to go, so I don't, I don't know where that scene's about to go, but I'm very curious. Hold up, everybody. What did, you, what did you guys think of the carnival? Was it cute and endearing, or was it too mushy for you, Paul? Uh, well, I thought it was funny, his depiction of the carnival. I mean, it was very... This, of all of the depictions we've had, felt most... He was just trying to to point out, like, real Earth, yeah. real life, normal culture, all the, like, different unhealthy fried foods and all the things like that. Um, As far as, like, the scene itself, I didn't think it was 
too mushy. I think, honestly, like it, I thought it was really endearing and sweet and cute, actually, because it was like they couldn't hold hands, but did didn't he like draw a picture where they were holding hands? She drew a picture. She drew the picture. Yes, that's right. I think that's really cute and sweet. I think where you lose me is I think of what is it? The scenes in like Stormlight where it's like. And Dalinar and Navani, oh, pulled Navani. No, it is Navani, right? Okay, yes. sorry. Yeah. Well, thought I had a horrific thought that maybe I said the wrong character, and it would have just been really awkward and incorrect. Um, like Dalinar pulls Navani close and gives her a deep kiss. Just I don't know. It's just like <laughs> that kind of scene. I'm just like, no thanks. Like I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm all right if this isn't here. Uh, but I feel like this was, like, cute. And I, I think maybe it's the wholesomeness that I just think is really adorable and, and sweet. Um, so so I can I can get behind it. I think that and picture... Just, uh... I think that picture that you were talking about, Paul, mm -hmm. is going to be very important. I think it's going to be very important. Prediction time? I think the time that they snap back to their own lives is coming sooner rather than epilogue. And then I think they're going to reunite in epilogue. So I think they are going to get back to their, to their original bodies, maybe as early as next week. And then he's going to have this painting and that is his spark to get back to Yumi at any at any cost. And he has this so, tangible painting. So Trevor, if that's the case, do you think the ending of the book will be Nicaro has to fight his way, essentially, not literally fight his way. He has to basically fight his way onto this ship that is flying allegedly to Yumi's planet, and then Yumi will have found her way to go to the, like, city for the festival or whatever uh -huh. and get to see that ship come in and that's where they're reunited um no but close i think you it. i think nikara will send yumi a message but he or a, a letter or something but he will not be allowed on the ship he'll, he'll go on ship too well that's way less romantic sorry what if what if he stows away on ship one and that's the end of the story. Like, it just, it ends as you don't even know whether he makes it or not. Mm. He just, like, sneaks onto the ship. Well, hurts his clothes. No, 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 no. Design specifically I, asks him, and he, he says no, but I guess that's because Yumi's still in the room with him. He doesn't, doesn't have the motivation to get on the ship yet. It's, it's going to be one of those things that if they get separated, that's when those emotions that they like each other are going to come into play the strongest. Sure. You know? Yes. So... He is going to, if, if this is the case, he will stow away on that ship and he's going to arrive on Yumi's planet and they're going to like hug or embrace or whatever. And it's going to be the first time that they make contact that it's not that like whatever weird odd sensation heat thing. Right. That they're like, oh my gosh, can't do that. You know, it, they're going to hug and it's not going to be that. It's going to make specific note of that. And that's the mic drop ending of the story. It's not going to be like he gets on the ship. 
the end. We don't actually see them reunited. There's no way. If it is, <laughs> I will be upset. I will be mad. And I can't believe I'm getting this upset over a romance story, but um but it does no way. It does exist. There does exist a romance story that Paul will be invested in. That's and it, and this is true. If it is the main plot of the story, then yes, I, I can I can get invested in it. I do agree with you, Trevor, that I think that painting that Yumi did of the two of them is going to be important. If not, maybe as literally as you're talking about, maybe figuratively or perceptively. We've learned up until now about how important it is what they perceive themselves as. Like that determines what they can interact with. It determines, you know, a lot of things of what happens of if they expect to be able to do it, they can do it. You know, Yumi tried to get through the tent to go see the scholars building the 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 machine, and she couldn't because she expected the tent to stop herself. When she closed her eyes and distract herself, she could pass through it. The painting, for me, is a glimpse into how Yumi and Nakaro see themselves. And I think even just that act of how do they perceive themselves is going to play into this of where does all this go so if if not literally i i think figuratively it'll be important on that note there's the quote on the back of the book at cover if you have the physical book you probably noticed this there's there's a quote in nice gold embossed lettering on the back of the book this quote shows up in this chapter i noticed it i recognized it when i read it and it has to do with kind of painter and yumi's analysis of themselves their, their perception of themselves even I'll, I'll, re- I'll read it real quick person is more than their experiences stacked up like stones our best moments are the foundations we use to reach for the sky okay interesting um in the audiobook that is hoid talking to the audience not yumi or painter i may have read it wrong I may have read it as Yumi when it's actually Hoyt. It probably is Hoyt. I think. Can you read it one more time right quick? So Sorry. Yeah. It's a person is more than their experiences, stacked up like stones. Our best moments are the foundations we use to reach for the sky. Yeah, I definitely remember that being as like a Hoyt. Yeah. A Hoyt interjection. His commentary on uh-huh. the situation as a whole. Like mm-hmm. Michael Kramer very yes. specifically reads that in Hoyd's voice. Gotcha. Interesting. I I really enjoyed this chapter simply because of how Earth like it was. Like you were saying, Paul. Like he Brandon Sanderson often does does a twist on like, you know, it's a it's a this, but there there's a twist on it. No, he just straight up ripped a carnival and put it right into the story like that there's no twist it's just it's a fair it's a fairground it's a carnival um so i thought that was cool i enjoyed that yumi won a big plush pink dragon and then gave it to a little girl but like you guys were saying very very wholesome scene i i will say um this this storyline in this scene in particular where they're at the carnival reminds me a lot of if any of you listening have ever watched Stranger Things 
I don't know why. It's like the teen-ish romance story, and they're a character to a carnival that is like no idea what a carnival is. If you haven't seen the show, it makes no sense. But if you've seen the show, it's like it's it's almost awkwardly spot on uh-huh. of 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 a decent uh you know story bit to, of uh of, of of Stranger Things, which I think is funny. All right. Are we ready to talk about the scene? Yes, please. Okay. At the end of chapter 28, they, Yumi and Nakaro are finished having their sincere dialogue back and forth. And Yumi looks up and sees the stable nightmare that we have been hunting since chapter 6? 7? Chapter 7. Um, it leaves claw marks on the wall. It jumps into the street after them. Its eyes are fully white. This is this is a very tangible, very real night monster that is bearing down on them as the chapter closes. And last week, I boasted about how good my chapter splits were up until this point. I'm going to recant that and say I'm so sorry about this one because I've been... I'm sure if you're listening to this and you've read this, you kept reading immediately. No, I stopped for two weeks on that sentence of the nightmare is approaching or whatever the, the last sentence is. Two weeks. I've been waiting to, and as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to go hit play on my audiobook and find, figure out what happens. So, I'm, yeah. Anyway, uh, nightmare is here. Any any thoughts, gentlemen? I've got a big theory about this nightmare that I'm excited for, but I'll let you guys go first. Just real quick, I'll say, on top of the the cliffhanger, I, I think I've had this this artwork that's at the end of this chapter haunting my dreams for the last week and a half since artwork is so good i'll pull it up yeah pull it up i i was not expecting artwork like every all the artwork pieces we've had so far have been so like tranquil peaceful yumi and painter hugging climbing a tree oh no here in this one we have terrifying looking 12 foot tall nightmare bearing down on helpless painter and yumi yeah yikes um not to ruin and take away from the point but doesn't painter's what left hand look enormous or is that just me it does look a little big are they running past an ac unit i was gonna say this this showcase is really much more that that this is like modern i was thinking the exact same thing trevor it's like it's like an yeah it's like an ac unit outside of a home almost like yeah. or, or for like an apartment building how neat is that a, gi- a giant <laughs> nightmare monster we're like oh my goodness oh my goodness there's a fan look at the fan they have they have air conditioning <laughs> that's just that's just so neat and who who knew that nakaro only single knot tied his shoes not double knot so he's gonna trip on that that's <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be important that is gonna be important later on um, he, he's so, doing like the like Vulcan live long and prosper or something with his hand that is a little weird. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about nightmares in general for a second. So this is this is a bit different than I pictured. One, just the size. It seems way more massive than I had in my head. Is that because it's a stable nightmare? Or are all the, nightmares this big? The the nightmare that just they describe still not like tangible and physical. The nightmare that they describe in twenty five, the spider like one, it specifically says fifteen feet across. That's what yeah, I thought so. I thought that one was also massive. Yeah, so these things are these things are huge. Which is way more scary than I guess I had in my head. I was yeah. thinking almost like the what are they? The midnight essence yeah. in Stormlight. Where they're like, I don't know, in my head like four or five feet tall. Sure. Kind of thing. This is way more horrifying. I don't know what you do against this thing. You paint bamboo. Apparently you just paint <laughs> a picture of bamboo and then it all goes away. I just googled how tall bamboo is. That's why bamboo works so well. Bamboo is between 15 and 40 feet tall. Mm, there you go. There you go. Okay. Not to get us off track again. <laughs> I think, what was it, last episode we we briefly mentioned like, oh, is this some kind of mention about like machinery replacing jobs that's totally off topic right but this here i don't know i can't help but shake the feeling that this whole like there is a nightmare and i am doing a repetitive and easy and like thoughtless action to to get rid of it i can't help but think of like a coping mechanism like 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 not in a serious serious sense like a you get really stressed at work you come home and you just turn on the same tv show that you like watching kind of thing that maybe that sounds really ridiculous and dumb but like i feel like painter falling into this not a creative spark just a like i'm gonna make i'm gonna draw bamboo every time feels like to me it feels like a I'm just doing something to get me through kind of thing. I'm not really thriving. I'm surviving. Um, which, which that's a discussion, honestly, that we've, we've kind of had before about that. We, we obviously know he's missing his creative spark and there's all the things there. So I don't need to, to go any further into that. We've, we've discussed it, but I don't know. I think I'm being way over analytic for this story. I don't think there's this much depth to it, but I'm like, is this, symbolically the culmination of his like his past his like I guess neglect for responsibility or lack of ambition like kind of that apathy the nightmare itself yeah that's my theory okay okay yeah big theory I think this is Nicaro's nightmare personal which would help explain why it's hiding. So I think that's it's way more. I think this is way more stable than anything that he's ever encountered before, obviously. But anything that anyone's ever encountered before that anyone has encountered before, I think this has been brewing for a year or two years, even that 
he has not dealt with this and he has been living this lie living this he he even describes it as a tumor growing in his mind of living this lie but if you pause on that real quick and apply it to this world where nightmares can come alive then why couldn't lies and deception come alive i think this is specifically nicaro and the fact that he's now embracing this with yumi is the reason why it's here is the reason why it's attacking it is now in danger i think it has been cultivating itself maybe bringing other nightmares through this section it knows nicaro so well it knows where he goes it knows it has a bamboo immunity um it it can it can sneak other nightmares in here and that's the reason why it's not attacking because it's growing in numbers not only in strength it it is bringing other nightmares in and not only um strengthening itself so i think this is specifically nicaro's nightmare not just a a nightmare so almost going down the path of like the metaphorical he needs to face his past or face his lie it is literal. He literally yes. needs to face the physical lie or past that has come to, to haunt him. Yes. And, and the fact that he is beginning to do so is the reason why, like, the why now is, is the question I'm asking. Why is it attacking now besides the fact that it's dramatic and cool? Um, the fact that he is confronting this during the night with Yumi it is deciding to attack so that it is not cognitively damaged. And this is the strongest, this is the strongest it knows it will be. So it's, it's using now to strike specifically them. And that's what the book says. The, the nightmare had come to hunt them down is what it says. Not yep. just, not just attack someone hunt them down is what it says, which is why, which is where my theory came from is that this is personal for the nightmare, not only for Nicaro. I I like it a lot. I don't I can't quite make all of those pieces fully make sense in my brain, but it seems logical. It seems to be a good explanation of why hasn't this nightmare attacked people yet? Well, cuz it's got a connection to painter. Right. There's you know we we theorized early on that this book was going to be about connection and that we were going to learn more about that i wonder if there's a connection between painter and this nightmare and it's it's all the things that you just talked about yeah so i guess the the question coming out of that then becomes how do you how do you defeat it great question the, i've got no idea <laughs> what's what's the silver bullet is it is it just simply the same way you defeat any other nightmare you need that calm emotion capture it in a work of art that reflects it or is this thing beyond that is this like you can't beat it that way anymore and he's got to do something else it, i mean from this picture it looks like he needs a sword like <laughs> it he, he needs to fight this thing not just paint it not yeah. just a sword he needs like a shard blade yeah <laughs> design so, help winner when we heard Ooh. about the dream cast 
the dream what was it the dream watch before he describes them as actual warriors right like i i don't know if that was really like figurative or what but but my understanding was they're the best artists but they also like you know maybe they train to potentially like bring down a, a stable nightmare if, right. if paintings mm -hmm. no longer work you know me and Elliot both have the same like like the random thing that I said me and Elliot both have like the hold on wait a minute like design can literally turn into a, a shard blade yeah I now have a mental image of painter draw, summoning design as a shard blade to yeah. go battle this thing I that's probably not where this story That's is not going. happening. That's not happening. You already know if that did happen, that design would have a quip about it. of like, yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> the only time you'll ever touch me or something like, yeah. something, <laughs> something like that, you know? Her her shard blade has like 75 like curves on it because she's obsessed yeah. with parabolas or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> These curves are faulty. Does that happen to mortals? I, I thought that was a really funny line, by the way. Alright, anything else for 157, gentlemen? I I don't think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna close up my window and go read. <laughs> I, I'm at least reading the first half of the chapter to see if we're like in a battle scene or if we're gonna pass out in the middle of the street and go back to Yumi's planet. Because if that happens, oh, gosh. Then, you know. Oh gosh. We, yo, we've been on Nicaro's planet for four straight chapters now, so it's gonna happen soon. We've only got ten hours. I guess there's only one way to find out. All right, let's reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. On we go. Toodles. What you said last week. I did not say toodles last week. I said sayonara, I said... didn't I? Did it's been a long time since I've said toodles. <laughs>